Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. We cannot do it without you. Thank you so much. I'm Katie Sewell in Seattle. My co-host Tiffany is in Rome, Italy. We are both working hard, but underemployed during this pandemic. So if you love the show and have the means, please support it. There are links in the show notes to Patreon or visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the donation button. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to start with a couple voice memos that we received. Yes, thank you so much for sending them. We love getting voice memos from our listeners. Yes, so we're starting off with a little reflection on last week's episode, which if you haven't caught it yet, we were talking about introverts versus extroverts during the COVID age and whether or not you can switch from one category to another by being quarantined. That was episode 322. And here's Lynn in San Francisco responding to that. Hi, Katie and Tiffany. It's your friend Lynn in San Francisco. Thank you for your recent episode on introverts and extroverts during the quarantine. I wanted to comment and tell you my experience and see if anyone could relate to this. So I'm definitely an extrovert. I've taken lots of personality inventories over the years through career counseling or office team building events. However, However, a big however, I've always described myself as a very discerning extrovert. I derive a lot of energy from people who I'm connecting with. And if I'm not, it just drains me. So normally I work in an office and I was one of the fortunate people who's able to just keep my job and transition to working from home. Now, being an extrovert, you think it would be lonely, but actually it's been the opposite. And I think this is why. So I read this quote recently, and it's attributed to Robin Williams. I assume that's accurate. And he said, I used to think being alone is the worst thing that could happen. It's not. The worst thing is being around people that make you feel alone. So even though I'm alone all the time, I feel less lonely. Also, I now have the flexibility to have personal phone conversations with friends and family during the day. So I'm actually connecting more with people I care about. And I was wondering if that's partly what Tiffany experienced, because she said she's she thought she was an extrovert. She'd always thought that. But now she's wondering if she's become an introvert and maybe she's just connecting with fewer people, but with a deeper connection. Just my experience. Thank you for letting me share it. And thank you so much for continuing the podcast. Love hearing your voices, guys. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Lynn, for sending that in. Miss you as well. Although, I gotta say, given the fact that the United States is still pretty much supposed to be quarantining, I'm really glad that I'm not in that little apartment in San Francisco. I bet. (laughs) Which kind of touches on the topic that we're going to talk about today, which we are also going to introduce by playing a voice memo. Mm -hmm. So let's listen to that first, and then we'll go from there. My name is Anne, and I live in New Jersey. I was in Italy in February and March of this year, was traveling with my husband and our two younger children, who are 13 and 14. About the last five or six days I spent in Rome with my kids, my husband by that point had left, had returned early to go back to work. And we 
stayed in Rome. As we stayed in Rome, we sort of saw the situation just get worse and worse. But quite honestly, I felt calm. There really were very few cases in Rome at the time. We were still traveling, taking the metro, and we were still going to the major tourist sites. But there were, the crowds were definitely decreased. We left Italy. We left out of Rome Fiumicino Airport to JFK on March 5th. Also, the airport was a bit strange because there were just very few people. And as we were waiting for our flight, which was at probably about one-third capacity, and most of the passengers on our flight were study abroad students who had been sent home early when their programs were closing. And um, I struck up a conversation with a young woman who seemed a bit teary-eyed, so I wanted to say something supportive to her. I told her that I hoped that she would be able to come back and told her what a wonderful city Rome is and that I thought that she would have a wonderful experience there. And she kind of looked at me with a little bit of disbelief and said, at this point right now, I never want to come back anywhere in Italy. I hope that eventually she changes her mind. But at that moment, I felt like like I was the young person, the young naive person, and she was the old jaded lady. Maybe that's what the 50 years of living and traveling gives to you, is that you realize that there there will be time. Things are changing. Things are always changing. I consider myself immensely fortunate to have had this trip. We were in southern Italy where I hadn't visited before and then in Rome where I had spent my very first, the very first time I ever went to Italy was a year I spent in Italy when I was 20. I had never flown in an airplane before and I went to Italy and lived with an Italian family who worked as an au pair for the year. And that was my first experience and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Since then, I've been back to Italy several times. I've also lived for a few years in Florence, and I never miss a chance to get to Italy. And I'm, as I said, I'm just immensely grateful that I had the chance, and I hope that we'll be back. So the first thing that I thought when I heard this was that that poor girl, I mean... Is that a dog? <laughs> so much of dogs barking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. The first thing I thought when I when I heard that was this poor girl she she's been traumatized by being in Italy at the outset of a pandemic but what she didn't realize then was that she was headed someplace that in a few months was going to be way way worse. Yep. Depending on where she went, I guess. But still, yeah, to uh escape Italy to feel like you're outrunning this tide of disease and that it's so traumatic that you never want to go back to Italy ever again and then you end up in the United States. <laughs> Not only are you quarantined when you get to the United States, since most states kind of went into a lockdown of a, of a kind, but you know, it's still going on. Whereas Italy is kind of roaming around free, going to beaches, drinking Campari, having a great time as far as I can tell. Yeah, we're pretty much in phase three. I mean, they never really made it official, but we're pretty much in phase three right now. People do wear masks. You're not required to wear them outside, as I've mentioned before. Um, but people do wear them a lot. And always in shops, it's required. But things are, if you heard the mini episode about what was going on, I can't remember what the name of it was, sorry. Life after lockdown, no, what was it called? The new rules of the road, there you go. That's what it was. Something like that. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you heard all the details. But yeah, life in Italy is so... 
deceptively back to normal. I don't know that that's a good thing. But yeah, in the States, it's... And I mean, I feel like we every time we talk, I'm kind of reminded of this because I forget sometimes that in the U.S., you guys are still in the heart of it. And it's... And not just, a, you know, of a quarantine or a lockdown, but of the disease itself, which is still really raging. And so, yeah, that made me pause when I heard that. And I thought, gosh, you know, uh, she doesn't ever want to see or hear from Italy again. She's so upset. What is she going to feel the same way about <laughs> the U.S.? Yeah, right. No kidding. Yeah, U.S. opposite. We're in different phases and now they're having to go backward. Texas, I think, is going back to stage one. So I don't know. But that's beside the point. So it is sort of this idea, though, of being in the right place at the right time, the wrong place at the wrong time. And also these instances where you try something new, you're a student studying abroad in Italy, and whatever happens there is so bad that you feel like, well, I tried that and I never want to do that again. And I know Anne's sentiment, and thank you, Anne, for sending that in, was, you know, hope that she would one day feel differently about this, that it wouldn't be the final chapter that she writes about studying abroad or Italy or anything like that, but that she would recover and she'd have a better experience there next time. But you never know, because sometimes those initial things are so off-putting that you just never push through to the other side and do something else. Yeah, exactly. Because she said, you know, me at, at 50 years, having traveled so much, I have the wisdom and experience to know that as catastrophic as this seems and is, it is still just a moment in time. It might last a year, it might last two years, it might last three years, but it's still a moment. It's not forever. Whereas someone who's 18 or 19, it feels like it's everything. Yeah, it could have been the time when they felt the most threatened in their whole lives. You know, you shouldn't discount the fact either that someone who is studying abroad at 20 years old, that could have taken a lot of a lot of courage for them to do because not every person at that age wants to or it's easy for them to go so far from home. So they might have already felt really scared and out of place just in a perfect situation, just being so far from home. And then this happens. I can see how that would be that would be traumatic. Absolutely. Have you ever attempted anything that ended up being scary enough that you never wanted to do it again? Or maybe you did do it again, but initially you were thinking that was not great <laughs> um childbirth, <laughs> childbirth. Uh, <laughs> you ever wondered why i don't have a second child i mean that is sort of the, the one thing that you just realize uh there's no way out of this except having the kid <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's no turning back as they say in the haunted house at disneyland there's no turning back. Right. <laughs> that is the scariest thing about the haunted house at Disneyland is when they say there's no turning back now. Yeah, I think it made me cry as a kid. Oh my God, why did I encourage yeah. us to do this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I went bungee jumping, but I before I come across as someone totally brave and adventurous, it wasn't true bungee jumping. It was, it was what I call bungee flinging. When you are basically standing between two really tall metal, I don't even know what you would call them. Poles? More like a crane ladder type of thing, but stuck to the ground. And they have two bungees. They attach them to you. You're on a, you got a harness on. Mm. And they're taut. They're pulled down already. So when they release you, you just fling up into the air. And then you fall. And then you fling up at least two more times. And gosh, from the ground, it looks so fun. <laughs> I have never in my life thought, thought like been convinced that I was going to die. 
convinced. And they always say, you know, your heart would stop. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> say, you know, it's not the fall that kills you. It's the fear that kills you. That's not true. Otherwise I would be dead right now. Yeah. It was super fun as I was flung up into the air. But when I reached that point of weightlessness, when you're neither being pulled up and gravity is not pulling you down that, that split second, that was pure terror. And I, <laughs> I started screaming so loud and I was very very high up in the air I mean it was higher than the building so it, it was quite high like it just doesn't seem that high from the ground for some reason and I was kicking my legs and my friends were on the ground laughing at me <laughs> oh you're like Wiley e. Coyote going over the cliff and Looney Tunes yeah, yeah it was I can't even and then you'd think that after the first time down and not hitting the ground as I was completely 100% convinced I was going to do and flung back up. You'd think the second time I would be like, oh, this is great. I'm not going to hit. No, same feeling, same fear. I was convinced that the second time I was going to, oof, I'll tell you, I'll never do that again. And I also have always dreamed of skydiving, that kind of thing. Now I know that I will never do it. So that is one thing that I really can say, no problem. I will never do again. But that's it. That's the only thing I can think of that in childbirth. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good because as you tell that story, I can absolutely feel that feeling in my body. I've never bungee jumped, nor will I, nor do I want to skydive at all. But when we were living down in California, Derek and I went to California's Great America, which is a, an amusement park. And they had one of those rides where they strap you in and they take you to the top of the tower and then it just drops to the ground stopping like right before you hit the ground uh -huh. <laughs> and I only went on it because he was so confident that he wanted to go on it and as it's pulling us up into the air and we can see the entire you know landscape <laughs> the park looks so tiny we're taller than any other building and we get to the top and it stops for a second and Derek says to me this was a terrible mistake <laughs> Why did I do this? And, and it's too late. You can't go back. It was. It was a terrible mistake. And, and to think when you're in a situation like that, and this is, of course, terrible mistake light because it's at an amusement park, probably in both cases, you know you're going to survive. But you also think, I got myself into this. And until I drop to the ground, there's nothing I can do. You know, there's no other way down. I can't just scream down, stop this ride. Yeah, I know. It's exactly the same thing. And it's funny that you say that because I did something similar to that recently. I think that, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that some of it has to do with age. I think that as you get older, you start to become much more aware of your own mortality. Mm -hmm. And you realize things like heights freak you out more because it's like I'm really really up high right now I could easily fall to my death whereas when you're 18 that you don't think about that you just think that it's fun and I went on a ride like that at uh, this place in Rome I'm sure it wasn't as tall as the one you were on because the amusement park is probably not as big of a deal it's called Chinichita World it's kind of like Rome's version of Universal Studios mm -hmm. and all of the rides are sort of like based on movies that were made there and I was with Aurelio and Claudio. Aurelio was still tiny. And of course, we couldn't go on any rides, you know, because we had Aurelio. So I said, you know, I want to go on one ride. Hold Aurelio. I'm just going to go by myself. And I chose that ride. The drop from the sky ride? Yeah, exactly. The one you were talking about. But I, I'm guessing it wasn't as tall as the one you went on. But at a certain point, does the height really matter? You're going to die anyway, <laughs> you know, if you fall. <laughs> if you fail, so you will. Yeah. So, so we're going up, and I was sitting next to this young 
Italian couple, and the guy was next to me, and the girl was on his other side. They were probably like 22 years old, and as we started to go up, I had the exact same feeling, but it was as we were going up, and I thought, oh my god, what a mistake. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And I started to get freaked out, really, really scared. And I remembered, my, my memory of my bungee jumping fiasco came back, and I said to the guy, can I hold your hand? <laughs> his girlfriend gave me this look (laughs) who the hell do you think you are and I was like I swear I'm I just I'm so scared right now I said my husband's down there but I'm so scared I need to hold on to someone's hand right now and um it was fine I lived through it but now I know I just can't go on those rides anymore because I was in Malibu last summer and I went on the Ferris wheel a Ferris wheel Katie a Ferris wheel with my nephew same thing. I just started getting freaked out. And, and, I, and I, luckily, he was my nephew. So I was like, Parker, can you hold my hand? I, why did I do this? And he held my hand. Why do you keep finding yourself in this situation again and again and again? I don't know. I just got to stop. I got to stop. <laughs> it looks so fun from the ground. Is there anything that you did when you were, say, a teenager or in your early 20s that you think back now and you think, wow, that was wildly dangerous? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Well, I don't know if this is what you're talking about. But when I was eight years old, I did a play at, well, I'm going to tell you the name of the theater because you probably will recognize it, the Village Theater in Issaquah, Washington. Mm -hmm. So we did a play, me and my sister, and there was a scene in the play. We were all in the chorus, all of us, a whole bunch of girls who were all like under 12. And we had to run out through the audience and out the doors of the theater. And we had to go back to the back of the theater, go in the stage door so we could be backstage again to continue the show. And instead of going around the block, we used to cut through an alleyway. But when I say alley, it was not an alley. It was a space between two buildings that only a prepubescent girl could fit through. It was such a small place. I don't think I could fit through it anymore. It's that tiny. It was dirt, weeds growing, and there was some trash in there. There were probably rats in there. Mm-hmm. I think about that now, and I think about the fact that we would run through there. I'm horrified by that. Because you could have gotten wedged? We could have gotten wedged in there. There could have been, like, some feral rat in there. You know, there could have been an earthquake. We would have been, I mean, it was just, you know, not very nice. But, yeah, I've had other things more recently, considering traveling. I've had things where my mom has said, I am so glad you didn't tell me about that at the time. I'm so glad you're telling me now that you're... You're settled down and you're not doing that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. Just the fact that I, I mean, I know I told the story, so I'm not going to tell the whole story again in a, pre, in a past episode, but the night that I was flying from Malaysia to Indonesia, I messed up the whole situation. I didn't have a visa. I, I flew in at the wrong time. It was a big mess. And the, the point was that when I got there, I missed the ferry to go to this little island where I was going to be diving. And I had nowhere to go. It it was the middle of nowhere. And I happened to have met this Australian man and his sister. And they basically just invited me to stay with them that night. You know, I had no idea who these people were. I had never seen them before. Nobody knew where I was. I couldn't have said beyond the name of the town where I was. And I just was like, okay, sure. Things like that. Things where I've just chosen to trust people. I basically put my life in someone's hands, more or less. And, you know, you do these things when you're traveling, when you're young, and you hope that everything goes okay. What about you? 
I think you do things like that when you're traveling in general. I mean, I don't think you're always in a situation when you have to put your life in somebody else's hands. No. But things do go wrong sometimes and you have to adapt. And sometimes that requires strangers. And we've talked about travel angels before. Mm -hmm. Luckily, a lot of the time, those strangers are great people. Yeah. I mean, in thinking about an experience that was bad enough that I could have not ever done it again, and I did do it again, I powered through it, but probably was when I was getting certified to be a scuba diver. I was living in the Pacific Northwest. The oceans here are very cold. (laughs) And I asked the instructor, isn't there a time of year when this would be warmer? And he said, no, if it got warmer, the fish would cook. (laughs) Like this is the temperature of the water over here. You know, It, it varies by degrees, but it never gets East Coast warm, you know. So it was cold. It was winter. I think it was January or February. There was snow on the ground. All that is to say, it was a miserably cold experience. I don't know if you remember, but when you get certified to dive, you have to do all these underwater tests. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you have to do is kind of pretend that you're out of oxygen and mm. shoot for the surface right. in a uh, reasonable way, in the way that they train you to do it. And I don't know if my imagination was just too powerful because I definitely could breathe. You know, I was still in the tanks, but I'm shooting to the surface. And I don't know, I just sort of panicked. And I did the one thing that you're not supposed to do when you're learning to dive is I got to the surface of the water and I just threw my mask off my face, Uh which is the way that they can tell when you're kind of panicking is you had this instinct to just like rip everything out of your face. But then, of course, if you go back under now, you don't have any oxygen and so it can be a terrible situation for a diver to actually do that and they train you to not do that your instinct is supposed to not do that (laughs) not do that and I did it in like this moment of panic and the instructor had to swim over to me and grab me and get it together and like shove my oxygen back in my mouth and I'm trying to get the mask back on my face and then of course I'm shivering I'm just freezing cold and after that I I thought this is terrible (laughs) why would anybody use this much equipment to go down into the ocean where we definitely do not belong and if anything goes wrong you'll drown i definitely had that thought did you ever dive after that yeah i've gone on like seven dives and then i think that they vary because of that experience every other one i panic really you know and of course then if you're panicking or you're feeling very nervous your oxygen goes down you can't be under as long because you're breathing faster And I had a friend who dives all the time and she said, and I think I've shared this on the show before, that you have to do it at least 10 times before you know that you like it or not. And I only have done it seven. So (laughs) I don't really know. I still think I'm nervous about it because of that memory. Yeah. I think I'm also nervous about it because of my ears. You know, you can lose your hearing by being under that much pressure. Right. Of course. And I already have some hearing loss because I'm working radio and every single person in radio has hearing loss to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Sorry, kids, if you're getting into radio. That's just what happens. You'll be deaf by 70. (laughs) (laughs) See, yeah, my diving, learning to dive experience was different because it was in Thailand. So the water was warm and there were like bazillions of fish and things to see. And I loved it so much that I totally changed what I was supposed to do on that same trip. I was supposed to end that trip. It was my Southeast Asia experience. I was supposed to end in Cambodia visiting the, uh, you know, Angkor Wat. You've been there, of course. And I canceled that part of the trip. I went to a bookstore and I bought a a guidebook 
tell me where, you know, I, I said, tell me to the book, tell me where the best diving is that I can get to. And I discovered this tiny little place off the coast of Sumatra. And I totally canceled the Cambodia part. And I was like, I have to be diving. I want to go every day. I want to go every single, like after two dives, I have to do this. I want to do this every day for a week if I can. And the sad thing is that that trip is the only time I've ever done it. I've just never been someplace since that I, and I could do it. And I miss it so much. Although people do do it in the Mediterranean, although I just feel like it couldn't possibly be the same. Well, maybe that could be your next year's resolution. if mm. you. Yeah, maybe. You know why I got certified to dive, Tiffany? Because you wanted to dive with sharks? No, because it was a New Year's resolution. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hence why I'm doing it in the dead of winter. Yeah, that just seemed like an odd time to do it. Yeah, that was back when I used to do have resolutions that you couldn't accomplish in a day, but they you could accomplish in a fixed period of time. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any places that you've been in the world that you associate with something traumatic as this young girl might now have with Italy, where something bad happened to you or something upsetting happened to you in a particular city or country, and now you don't want to go back there? Hmm. I mean, Valencia, Spain might come to mind. Yeah, Spain comes to mind. Go back and listen to the assault episodes way back in like episode 13 or whatever. Spain comes to mind, but I don't know that I would write off the country for that. But maybe Valencia. I mean, Valencia is not going to be my favorite place in the world, probably. See? See? I know what street dives on. I know what bar it is. I just won't go there. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I get, getting stuck there and having such an unpleasant experience happen definitely put me off that town, perhaps. But no, I don't know. It, it, the freedom of movement was so challenging in South Africa. That put me off a little bit and not necessarily want to go back there. It was amazing there, though. Totally worth the visit. And hi to everybody who lives there, because I know we have some listeners there. But for me, I was I felt like there were all these things I wanted to do, but certain places were dangerous. I don't know. I just felt kind of claustrophobic a lot of the time I was there. But yeah, I think that that was a little off-putting. But it was more claustrophobia, not so much that I felt in danger or that something bad happened. I just felt like, oh, I want to go see what Johannesburg is like. And the family I was staying was like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to see what Johannesburg is like today. <laughs> you're going to stay in our house. I just felt very claustrophobic there. For me, it's, I went to grad school in Montreal and I've probably talked about it. I had a bad experience there. Nothing like majorly traumatic, not one particular incident, just sort of as a whole, it, it wasn't a good decision. And I have never been back to that city. And I I kind of have no desire to. Yeah. What would you say is the number one reason that you didn't like it? I had an abusive teacher. Not physically abusive, of course. Um, my, my voice teacher. I mean, when you study music, your teacher, your teacher who teaches that instrument or, you know, singing if you're a singer, you have a very, very close relationship with that person. And if that person is is not nice, it can become very traumatic and very upsetting and yeah, that was the reason. I mean, it was also extremely cold all the time. You know, it was just a dark time. I, I had a long-distance boyfriend at the time who was in Boston. So I was constantly making that trek from Montreal to Boston on the Greyhound. It was just awful. It's interesting. I don't think we ever really talked much about that abusive teacher that you had. Maybe some episode we'll have to delve into teachers, the good and the bad. Oh, that would be a great idea. And how they both expand and limit the world. Oh my gosh. Great idea. Let's do that next time. All right. Uh, Because I've had some great teachers too. For sure. Some wonderful teachers, thankfully. But 
I can't think of a place that I've been, at least as a traveler, where there's been some kind of disaster, like a pandemic happening while you happen to be passing through the town or a tornado, as I think happened to you once somewhere. Wyoming. (laughs) So I, I don't really have anything like that that I can think of, but I'm one of those people I pretty much like everywhere I go. I mean, let's be honest. I'm one of those people who I pretty much like everything. Aurelio has this book and there's this character in it. She says, I like everything. This character is written about me. I could totally identify with that person. I'm a person who I generally like things. I like places that I go and I can kind of find the beauty in everywhere I go. And everywhere I go, I seem to think to myself, oh my gosh, I would love to live here, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of wherever it is. But there's one place that sticks out in my head. I could totally never go back there again in my life. And that is Bratislava, Slovakia. Mm. And I don't think it's so much about that city. Although it's one of those cities where if you have a half an hour, you can see the whole thing. It's very cute. It's very charming. It's very medieval looking. Give yourself a half hour and you have seen it all and you don't need to go back. I spent like three days there for some ungodly reason. I don't know. Uh, I don't know why I chose to spend so much time there. But um, I, I booked a trip to Vienna for the 250th anniversary of the death of Mozart. Mm. I found out that they were going to be playing Mozart's Requiem in the church where his funeral was at the exact moment that he died. Wow. Cool. I can't miss that. I was living in Rome at the time, very footloose and fancy free. I did have a boyfriend when I booked that ticket, but um, he had broken his hip and he wouldn't have been able to go with me. So, you know, I talked to him about it. He's like, go, you'll have a great time. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go by myself. And I booked the tickets. Well, I'm going to be in Vienna. Bratislava is 40 minutes away and it's a different country. Well, what I didn't know at the time when I booked that trip was that a month before the trip, that boyfriend with a broken hip broke up with me. Mm. And remember a couple episodes ago, I said I'd only really had one traumatic breakup in my life. This was the one. This was the one. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. I was uh, a total wreck. I was uh, basically a wet rag, like just... I just cried like 24 hours a day is all I did. I was like, I'm going on this trip. I'm going. I have the tickets. I am going. All my friends were like, don't go. Don't travel by yourself at this time in your life. And I'm like, I'm going. So I went and I sobbed the whole time. <laughs> but Vienna was, is such a rich city. It's such a beautiful city. There's so much to see and do. And I went to the opera and I went to, to see this concert, this Mozart concert. And I went to all the museums that I actually had a really great time in Vienna. I was sad. I'm not going to deny that. I was very sad the whole time. But I was seeing lots of amazing things. It filled the void a little bit. Then I go to Bratislava. <sighs> I see the town in 30 minutes (laughs) and I am stuck there for two days with nothing to do and no one to see meals to eat out by myself. And this is when things get dark. Yeah, it got really dark. It got really, really dark. It's not really the town's fault. It's not the town's fault. That's why I said it was the place I was in in my life. Right. And you feel like if you were to go back there, it would just remind you of that feeling, that time. Oh, for sure. But how was the concert? Was it worth it? The church concert? Um, I think the whole trip was worth it. The, the trip to Vienna was definitely worth it. I, I loved Vienna. It was Christmas time. The streets were lit up. It was so beautiful. There were gorgeous Christmas markets. 
and I really would love to go back. And so, no, I don't, I don't regret that. And I, and I love doing things like that, going to an event that has some kind of historic significance. So, no, I'm glad that I went. I shouldn't have gone to Bratislava. I should have gone for a day trip and come back. I didn't realize that there was nothing to see there. <laughs> Sorry, everyone who's listening in Bratislava. Sorry. Well, we should probably leave it there. But thank you, Anne, for sending in that voice memo. And you too, Lynn, for sending in yours. Do you have any thoughts? Send us a voice memo. We love hearing from you. And um, you've been basing shows around what you send and observe in the world. You can always reach us where, Tiffany? You can email us at bittersweetlifeatmail.com. That's M-A-I-L dot com. Or you can go to our website, which is thebittersweetlife.net. There's a contact button on there. So you can just send us a note. We're also on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Bittersweet Life Podcast. Just search for that. Right. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for listening. Our logo is designed by Jody Rick at The Lost Laboratory, with help from our muse, Caravaggio. Lori Lee Elliott manages The Bittersweet Life on YouTube. We have a brand new newsletter, If you want to hear what we're reading and thinking about once a month, let us know by sending an email to bittersweetlife at mail.com, and we'll put you on the list. And some of you write us the most beautiful emails. If you haven't already, leave us a review as well on your podcast app. Your support is vital to the show, so whether you send in a financial contribution at thebittersweetlife.net or spread the word about the show to your friends or through your social media, by writing an article or doing an interview with us. We appreciate your support. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for keeping this show going. Take care, be safe, talk soon.